Today we're going to talking, be talking about a huge storm in the Bible. It involves Jesus' disciples and a fishing boat on the Sea of Galilee. They didn't take wellies, they didn't have on umbrellas or waterproofs, but they did have Jesus on the boat. So we're just going to read Matthew um, chapter 8, verses 23 to 27. Jesus got into a boat and his followers went with him. A great storm arose on the lake so that the waves covered the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. His followers went to him and woke, saying, Lord, save us, we will drown. Jesus answered, Why are you afraid? You don't have enough faith. Then Jesus got up and gave a command to the wind and the waves, and it became completely calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. I wonder if you have ever encountered a terrible storm. A farmer and his wife went to bed early one night, and about three in the morning, a terrible storm began to tear up the countryside and the county with speeds up to 100 miles an hour. The storm increased in ferocity until it morphed into a tornado, and trees were ripped out of the earth as if they were mere matchsticks. And the wind howled and tore around the farmstead as the farmer and his wife cowled underneath the duvet up in the master bedroom. When all of a sudden there was a very loud ripping noise. And the roof and the ceiling of their farmstead was torn off the, off, the, off the house itself and disappeared into the night, dark night sky. And then ethereal fingers of wind lifted up the bed in which they were, they were sitting and began to spin it around and pulled it out of the farmstead and began to, began to carry them across the devastated countryside. And at that point, the farmer's wife began to weep. And the farmer put his massive hand upon her shoulder and said, There, Mary, says, no need to get worried. She's just a bit of wind. And the woman looked at him and says, I'm not scared, you silly man. In fact, I'm crying with joy. Crying with joy, he shouted. How can you be crying with joy? And she looked at him through his, her tears and said, because in 10 years of marriage, this is the first time you and I have been out together. <laughs> it's not pleasant to be in a storm when your life is in peril, when you don't know what's going to happen, what the consequences are going to be, whether you're going to survive this whole experience. And we find we set ourselves as people living in this storm, a storm on the media. A storm on the radio, on the internet, on social media. A storm in politics, in parliament. A storm in Europe and in the world. And a storm that's consistently bleeding into our consciousness through all these mediums, day by day. Drip, 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 like Chinese water torture. And it's very easy for us to be overwhelmed by the sense of fear and gloom by what we're being told about, and doing what the media does best, to speculate beyond speculation, and to talk beyond talk, and talk up, and exaggerate, and make the storm even darker than it may be, because, let's face it, good news doesn't sell newspapers, bad news does. 
And we find ourselves dragged down by this storm and turned around and spun like that farmer and his wife in that bed. And the disciples found themselves in a storm that Amanda read for us earlier on in Matthew chapter 8. Now, we need to remember this, that the Hebrew people were not, in fact, a seafaring people. Throughout most of their early history, if you look at the scriptures and look at the geography of Israel, you'll find that the Israelis lived, or the Hebrew people, lived in a landlocked nation in which there were only three sizable bodies of water. There was Lake Hula in the north, there was a Sea of Galilee in the middle um, of Israel, and right down in the south, going towards the Egyptian coast, you came across the massive sea, the Dead Sea itself. And these three water locations sit in the massive scar, the geographical scar or geological scar that, go, that cuts through Israel called the Jordan Valley, getting deeper and deeper as it goes towards the south and hits the Bay of Aqaba. It's a, the, the first body of water, Lake Hula, is high. The second body of water is low. And the last body of water, the Dead Sea, is called the Dead Sea because it is so low. It's the lowest body of water in the world. And people used to refer to the Sea of Galilee as a sea because most of the Israelites hadn't actually seen many seas. It's interesting that Matthew, Mark, refer to the Sea of Galilee as a sea, but Luke, the gentle Dr. Luke, who travelled with, with Paul around the world and was not only well-travelled but well-read, he only calls it a lake, which is what, in fact, it really was. Because the sea itself, or the lake itself, is only 13 miles by seven, and it's the size of many locks you find up in Scotland. It wasn't really a sea. It was just a large body of water. But what made this body of water unusual was that it sits very, very low in the Earth's crust, 680 feet beneath sea level. And on the western side, it is, it is encased in a huge range of hills and mountains with deep gullies called the Golan Heights. And down these deep gullies, the wind would come. And anyone who knows anything about temperature and climate knows that when you get cold air from the heights of mountains, reaching warm air that sits above the calm, still waters of Lake Galilee at 680 feet beneath sea level, a basin, the water will get heated very quickly and this cool air will come off the mountainsides down these galleys and it will clash with the warm air hovering above the waters. And when a warm weather system hits a, hits a cold weather system, you get a storm. So very quickly, the Sea of Galilee could be whipped up into a frenzied ferment of water and foam. For this reason, it was a very deadly lake and known as such and feared by fishermen, which is why fishermen quite often actually uh, try to catch fish in the evening and not during the daytime, especially during the afternoons when the storms could be the most ferocious. 20-foot waves are not uncommon on the Sea of Galilee. And while the lake is only 150 feet deep for most parts across its surface, you only need two inches of water in which to drown. It was a feared and famous body of water. 
And these disciples began their journey, a journey that should take normally between 60 minutes and 90 minutes to cross the lake in good weather. They began their, weather, uh, their journey, as often so many seafarers did, on that lake in good, clear, calm conditions. They pushed out and began to make their way, probably using the sail, across the sea to the other side. And during that time, the cold air came off the mountains and collided with the, cool, uh, the warm air on the lake. And soon we find a ferocious storm around that boat. And the first thing we see in this story is this. We see the sleeping saviour. The sleeping saviour. In verse 24, we're told quite clearly, Jesus was sleeping. It's John Mark, in fact, that gives a little more detail to his story. He writes in Mark 4, he says, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The cushion was called the bosun's cushion. It was the cushion which the person was often controlling the boat would sit upon. And Jesus was asleep. And he was asleep because he was totally exhausted. Wiped out by the day's events, trying to get some shut-eye when the storm erupts, erupts around them. You see, this was no small weather event they were beginning to experience. They were experiencing a storm. It wasn't just a storm. It was, in fact, the mother of all storms. And there's clear details given in this story. This whole series is, is the account of various miracles that occur in the life of Jesus, written by the man Matthew. And Matthew was a tax collector. And tax collectors like to fill in detail. They like to fill in the ledger. And he gives various interesting, interesting um, uh, uses various interesting words in this story that only occurs in Matthew's Gospel. So, for example, he says in verse 34, Suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. First of all, he says, suddenly. Suddenly. There was no warning to the events that followed. The disciples did not launch into a vicious a storm. They did not see on the horizon clouds gathering. They had no warning of this event, and they were in the middle of the lake when, it, in fact, the event hit them. And then we're told in verse 30, uh, 24, Matthew uses this expression, a furious storm. And Matthew uses a word here that's very unusual. It's never normally used. In fact, in the 12 occasions it's used in the New Testament, it's only here used of a storm. And it is a Greek word, sesmos. You may recognize that word, seismos, because it's the word from which we get the expression seismic, a seismic event. What's a seismic event? A seismic event is an earthquake. And this word, is from, the Greek word, is from which we get the expression earthquake. It's only here used of a storm. And it literally means in the Greek, a terrible shaking. Everything was shaking. Everything was moving. Their horizon was up and down. They were being shaken, and they were shaken physically from the terror that they're experiencing because no one can be stable in a world that is shaken. It was a furious storm. And then Matthew uses another expression, another word only here occurs. He uses a word that says in Greek, hidden. The boat was hidden by the waves, which means for the heights and the troughs. The troughs were so low that you couldn't see the vessel. The vessel was overwhelmed by the sea. It was swamped by the sea. It was covered by the water. 
One minute they were up, the next minute they were down, and when they were down, you couldn't see that boat. The water was so terrifyingly vicious around them. This was an incredible experience. And these disciples, most of them not fishermen, although there were three fishermen in the gathering, I expect the fishermen were scared of them most because they knew the reality of the situation in which they found themselves. These men were terrified. They were terrified. In fact, Luke mentions in his account, in Luke chapter 8, he says that they were in great danger. And perhaps some of you today feel so swamped but your world is being shaken by, the, uh, by this pandemic. And having just come out of the coronavirus, we hoped, over the summer, and be encouraged to go and spend money in restaurants and in pubs, and encouraged financially to do so, now we have a curfew in pubs at 10 o'clock. And now we're being dissuaded from going to restaurants. And students in universities have been told they may not be able to come home for Christmas. And we're in a situation where everything that's normal and where you normally get comfort and solace from your homes, you can't go to. And our world is being turned upside down by this storm. And perhaps you feel yourself overwhelmed like those disciples. So overwhelmed, we're told in verse 25, the disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We are going to drown. More graphically, Mark, the Roman, puts it like this. He writes in Mark and chapter, in fact, it's chapter 6, he says, The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care? Look at us. Don't you care about us? What are you doing sleeping? Why are you not involved in this? Why are you laying there on the bolson's chair getting the shut eye when we are terrified and we're about to die? Jesus, don't you care? It's like the psalmist who writes in Psalm 44, Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. And perhaps some of us have prayed prayers like that over the last few months or during our lives when we felt that God is distant. We've asked God to wake up to remember who we are and look at us and look at our situations. Don't you care? Wake up, God. And how does Jesus respond? <laughs> we say, don't you care, to God, and God says to us, like Jesus said to the disciples, don't you believe? Don't you believe? Jesus doesn't say, there, there, calm down. He challenges them. In fact, we see more anger in Jesus in this boat against his disciples than we do in Jesus against that storm. Don't you believe, he says? He replies in verse 26, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? The disciples could have said, Duh, <laughs> Lord Jesus, open your eyes, look up, you're soaking wet. Look up, listen, the wind, the waves, the sea. But that wasn't an answer that they could give to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was in that boat. He wasn't thousands of miles away. He wasn't up in heaven. He wasn't distance. Where was he? He was in the boat. 
They were up and down. Jesus was up and down. Their world was shaking. Jesus' world was shaking. They were being inundated. Jesus' world was being inundated. But he wasn't panicking. He was sleeping. And they interpreted that as a callous nature of a uncaring God. Someone who wasn't involved, wasn't concerned. He's sleeping because he doesn't care. But in reality, he's sleeping because he cared very much and knew that his father, who cared even more, was caring for them all. Had not Jesus healed people that very day? Had not earlier on the disciples witnessed him healing a leper? Lepers who suffered that terrible, debilitating disease that no one would even touch, but Jesus did, and he was healed. Had he not healed a centurion's son, not even by touching him, he just commanded the illness to leave. And that centurion's servant get better. Had he not healed Peter's mother-in-law for her perennial malaria, a common illness in that, in that area? Many people died of malaria because of the mosquitoes um, inhabiting the, the damp, waterous areas like Galilee and Lake Hula. Had not Jesus displayed his authority and his powers? But what were disciples doing? The disciples were looking outside the boat. When they should have been looking in the boat and seeing the sleeping saviour. Disciples follow the example of the teacher. And these men called him teacher but were not following his example. They were trying to teach the teacher how he should be reacting in that crisis. And Jesus was saying, no. You follow me, I don't follow you. I'm the leader here. Like in that wonderful cartoon by Disney's Aristocats, remember that? And the dogs and that. That wonderful house said, I'm the leader, I'm the leader of the pack. And Jesus is saying, look, you follow me, I'm the leader here. You're not teaching me anything. I can panic, anyone can panic. Panicking is easy. This is how you react to a storm. Trust and faith. You see, Jesus is in our boat. As believers, Christ comes into our lives by his spirit. He's in us. And what we experience, he experiences through us. He never leaves us. What did he promise before he was ascended? Matthew 28, verse 20, that wonderful promise. And surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. And if I'm not wrong, the age hasn't ended yet, which must mean that Jesus is still here. With you, in you, experiencing this pandemic as you experience it, both here and online. He is here. He is no part-time soldier. He is a 24-7 God for us with thick and thin right to the very end of the age. And if you ever feel that Jesus or God is not with you in a crisis, remember that is just a feeling. That is not a fact. We must never equate feelings with facts. Feelings do not become facts. Facts remain facts. You can jump off a cliff and feel like you're standing on the edge, but you're still full to your death. Feelings are just that. They're emotions. The fact is, Jesus is with us during this past pandemic. We need to look inside the boat and see him here and not focus on the storm. Not focus on the ferment. Not focus on the negative energy outside the boat. Jesus was never sleeping as a sign of his not, confer- uh, not caring. His sleep was a sign of his perfect trust in God. He is the secure son and not the sleeping saviour. He is the secure son. He was secure in the arms of his father because his father was in control. He knew he was no pawn in a random universe, but his father is always in control. 
And God always is in control. Even when it doesn't seem like it or doesn't feel like it, God is in control. And that is why Jesus was asleep. Sure, he was exhausted. And what this story shows us is both sides of Jesus' nature. He was a human. He was totally exhausted. You know, sometimes on Sunday, after, and Terry will tell you the same, but after you preach and lead worship, you are totally exhausted. You know, totally wiped out. And Jesus was teaching all day, not just for an hour or so in the morning. He was teaching all day. He was giving out constantly, healing people, teaching them. He was totally exhausted. So this story shows us the humanity of Jesus. And at the same time, it shows us the divinity of Jesus, the power of Jesus. He is the secure son. He believed the promises of the Old Testament. Promises like Psalm 4 and verse 8, a lovely psalm to read before you go to sleep. Psalm 4 verse 8, in peace I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. If you have trouble sleeping, read that psalm, memorize that psalm and recite it to yourself before you go off to sleep at night. Lord, you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Psalms like Psalm 127 verse 2, where the psalmist tells us that God grants sleep to those he loves. Why is that? Because the person who loves God trusts in God and can have sleep because he trusts in God. And the great promise in Psalm 91, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so you do not strike your foot against a stone. You know that psalm, Psalm chapter 91, even Satan knows that psalm. He quoted it to Jesus when he suggested that Jesus jump off the top of the, the temple in Jerusalem. Satan knows his scripture. We should know it better than him. And Jesus knew that God was in charge. And I wonder if we do, if we really do and really trust. Sometimes you could say, well, I'm just a warrior. I'm just someone who's very concerned. And I get that. We've all got strengths and weaknesses in our personalities. But if you're a warrior, you need to work harder at your faith and your trust. That's what faith and trust is. It doesn't come naturally. Of course it doesn't. It's something we need to work at. You know, we work at other areas of our lives, don't we? We don't just excuse them and say, well, that's just me. Sometimes that's just an excuse for no, not putting the effort in. People, God wants to bless us. He wants us to enjoy sleep. He wants us to experience peace, even, even in the midst of a storm. And Jesus' trust is such that he could sleep in the middle of that storm, even when his world was being shaken and his life was being overwhelmed. The boat was overwhelmed, but Jesus wasn't. Why? Because he rose above it by faith and trust in his Father. So he's not happy when he's woken up. He's not happy, not because of the storm. He's not happy because of the weakness of faith. And we're told in verse 26, he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves. And it was completely calm. I love that. He rebuked the wind and the waves. There's quite a few teachers in the congregation and online. He told them off. He told the wind and the waves off. Rather like a teacher will tell children off and make it too much noise, Jesus stood on the prow of that boat and he told them all to calm down. To calm down. Shut up. You're making far too much noise. He rebuked the wind and the waves. And then suddenly, the disciples who seemed to love to fear something or other, then start to fear him. Because they turn to each other and say, 
What manner of man is this? What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And what a question that is. What kind of man is Jesus? Because there's no normal man, that's for sure. No normal man can command the elements, the wind and the waves. Here's one of the ultimate signs of the authority of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus. Early in this chapter, we heard about him commanding illnesses to leave the sick, casting out demons of those who are possessed. His voice contains the very authority and command of God. God who made the world in a, in a word, let there be light, sent Jesus, who is the word of God, the Logos. And Jesus speaks it and it happens. He is the word of God. What kind of man is this? You see, in the Old Testament, the only person who commands the wind and the waves is God himself. Psalm 65 and verse 5, You answer us with awesome deeds and righteous deeds, God our Saviour, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves. Psalm 89, Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you and you rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. You can read again in Psalm 107 what we began the service with. Do you see the implication of this passage, this wonderful passage of a calming of a storm for our lives? You see that even when our world is being shaken, even when we're being overwhelmed by our circumstances, whether that's a pandemic or something else in your life, Jesus is in your boat. He is with you. He is calm. He is in control. We must learn to emulate him, to follow his example. You may say, well, it's easy for you to say, trust in God, Cole, come on. Easy for you to say, have faith, and you're right. Perhaps it is easy for me to say, trust in God and have faith. But you know what's even easier? It's even easier to have faith when things are going well. It's very easy to have faith when life throws no challenges. When life is a calm sea, when there's nothing really to trust and believe God about, that's easy as well. And sometimes God allows us to go through pandemics and trials to test and to grow and to build that faith within us, to make it stronger and make it better because God is preparing us for glory. This whole universe is heading towards a climax when God is going to build and, 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 and begin a new heaven, a new earth, and he's preparing you and me for it. And that's why we have trials in our lives, to test that faith and to see just how real and how genuine that faith is. It's so easy to have faith, isn't it, when things are going well. And this is why when we cry to Jesus, Jesus, don't you care? He says to us, yes, but don't you have faith? Don't you have faith? In August 2008, the press in the UK ran a very, an amazing story about a pilot called Jim O'Neill. He was flying a small Cessna aircraft at 5,500 5, feet above the surface of this planet, when all of a sudden he was taken ill. He had a stroke. A blood clot burst on his brain and he became very seriously ill. He said it was terrifying. And initially he believed he'd just been blinded or dazzled by bright sunlight. But he began to realise he was seriously ill and he made an SOS call to the nearest um, airfield and said that he needed to land as soon as possible. 
And it just so happened in the air, not very far away, was an RAF trainer pilot, Wing Commander Paul Gerrard of the Royal Air Force. And he just finished in a training flight and was drafted in to quickly to find the Cessna in the sky and to fly out alongside it and to try and bring it down. And that he managed to do. He managed to locate it in the sky, he flew close to Hyde, and using the radio, he managed to guide that, that very seriously ill pilot back to an airfield and managed to get him down on the ground. And when Jim O'Neill got out the aircraft, they discovered that when he had the stroke, he had become totally blind. Totally blind at 5,500 feet above the earth. Totally unable to see out the aircraft. Totally unable to know whether you go right or left, or north, south, or east or west. Totally unable to read the altimeter to know what height you were. He was totally blind. And he had to trust every single word that that RAF wing commander gave him over the radio. And that's faith. That's faith. It's trust. That's faith. It's following. That's faith. It's listening. That's faith. It's being guided by the true pilot of our lives, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you can't exercise faith very easily on a calm sea. You need a storm. And today we have one. And how about you? Are you shouting at Jesus? Are you asleep, Lord Jesus? Or are you believing in him? Do you believe he's got you in the palm of his hand? That he's got you, that you are safe with him. Jesus said later on to the disciples in John chapter 10 and verse 29, in fact, he's speaking of the disciples, he says this, he says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. You've been given to the Lord Jesus. You're in the Father's hand. Who can snatch you out? No one. Because he is greater than all. We are safe in the hands of our Father. Amen.